Well, good morning, beloved. What a joy it is to see you in the house of the Lord. He is good to us, isn't he? He is so good. Go ahead and you know how we do it when I preach. Go ahead and smile at somebody and tell them, I'm so happy to see you. I don't know what to do with myself. Go ahead and tell them. Glad to see you. And to all of our first-timers that are here, we're glad to have you here worshiping with us and studying God's Word and just loving on the Lord and loving on each other. It is, again, a joy to stand before you and to share with you the wonderful Word of our Lord and our Savior. And we give Him praise. And would you join with me in thanking Him for the rain that He has blessed us with? Isn't that a blessing? Oh, we give Him praise. We give him praise for that. We bless him for that. I always stand amazed after we have had a drought here for some years, and we've been praying for rain. And I heard someone the other day say, Lord, I wish the rain would stop. I said, my goodness. We are grateful that the Lord has sent rain. And we appreciate all that he has done and all that he's doing and all that he's promised that he will do. We love him with all of our heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this, your beloved and my dear ones that are here. We thank you again for this great people. We thank you for causing and allowing us to be a part of your great big family around the world. What a blessing. And we thank you specifically for giving us again this family, the Bridgeway family, that we could love you, grow together, cry together, laugh together, Experience life together, Lord God, and more so, experience abundant and eternal life together. We love you so much. Would you allow us to now dive into your word and allow the scriptures to jump off the pages to us that we can grow and leave here different than the way that we walked in. We thank you for the transformation that takes place through the teaching of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you so much. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Our, our pastor, Pastor Lance, has uh, taken charge to lead us now into exploring the year of identity, the year of identity, understanding who we are in Christ. We just completed a 100 teachings on being Jesus, and now we're going to put some footwork to it. We're going to activate that by, again, uh, exploring through Scripture and opening up our understanding. What is the charge? What has God called us to do in the body of Christ? And more specifically, how we are not only identified in the body of Christ, but what is the identity of those of us that call Bridgeway our home? I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I'm part of the Bridgeway family. How about you? I'm glad about that. And uh, God is continuing to add. People are coming. People are being blessed. And people of all different backgrounds, ethnicities, age groups, all different types of cultures, all different social economic backgrounds, all of us are just jumping in this great big pot and watching God do what he does. Just stir us up so that we can make an impact upon not only our community, this region, but also the world. I think of this in regards to something, though, that I experienced on this past week 
On this past week, I decided to take my lunch break and do something different than I normally would do. I typically will either bring my lunch when I'm here on the campus or many times I'll go across the street and have my lunch over at the university, over at William Jessup. I have some of my former students over there that many times I'll meet with them or some of the professors or the administrators there. And uh, But this particular week, this last week, I decided that I was going to do something that I generally don't, I, I don't do. I, I took a, a trek up to the uh, Galleria Mall. And uh, now I will be quite frank with you, that is not a place that I have frequented over the years. Although it has been open for quite a few years, I, 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 I don't typically go to the mall, and that's one mall. If I do go to the mall, I don't go there. Uh, but I wanted to go because I had seen that uh, it had a prominent sign there on 65, and uh, it seemed that there were a lot of cars heading that direction, so I decided I wanted to go and check it out. Now, uh, I, I got over there, and uh, I took uh, an hour and a half that I was there. I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you. I, I did say it was my lunch break. The 30 minutes that I was there, <laughs> the, the 30 minutes that I was there, the entire time that I was at the mall, what stood out to me, and frankly challenged me was that during the entire time that I was there, uh, I was raised, by the way, by parents who taught uh, their four sons that whenever you are walking in the presence of anyone, regardless of who they are, you always speak, you always say hello, you always greet them. And so I, I practice it. That's the part of me. I greet people. When you're in front of me, it's part of how I acknowledge that you are there by saying hello. I'm, I'm not dismissive with people. Well, the entire hour and a half that I was there, uh, I have to be frank with you, what surprised me, out of all of the people I greeted, not one person responded by saying hello. Hello. It was though they saw me, but they chose not to see me, to look past me. And I, I mean, I was breaking my neck nodding. I was hello. <laughs> hello, hello. And they would just walk by. Even the babies were sitting there rolling their eyes at me, spitting out pacifiers. I mean, there was no, no eye contact, no smile. Nothing that would suggest I see you and I want to acknowledge you. And that was disturbing to me. That was disturbing to me. In fact, the two individuals that did at least interface or interact with me, what surprised me about that were uh, individuals who they weren't responding to me greeting them. They were responding or uh, initiating conversation based upon what they could get from me. So it was two salespersons. <laughs> there, there was a man who was standing there in the middle of the hall there, in the middle of the mall, and he stopped me and he walked by, had a big smile, and I thought, oh, this is nice, he's going to speak. And he, he looked at me and he said, he said, Ex excuse me, sir, how was your day? I said, it's fine. And then the next word out of his mouth was, do you own your home? And I figured out that he was trying to sell me some solar panels, and I didn't want to be bothered, so I lied and said no and kept walking. 
Then there was another young lady standing there, and she had some lotion, and she was, you know, reaching out and says, Sir, do you want to come over? And, I, and I'm thinking, uh, not really, but I walked close to her, and she says, are, are you married? And I realized she was trying to sell me something, sell me some lotion. So I lied and kept walking, said no, and kept walking by. And, and, and I thought to myself, the only two that greeted me or acknowledged me were trying to get something from me. They wanted to get something from me. By this time, I was quite perturbed. Into, and to add insult to injury, when I got to the door that led out to the parking lot there out of the Macy's side door there, I went ahead because I noticed a lady who was walking towards the door. I went ahead of her to, as I was taught by a mother who taught me to have manners and to be a gentleman, I went to open the door for her so that she could go through. And the response, you would think, after opening the door would be, thank you. But instead, she kept walking as though I was an automatic door opener. (laughs) She just kept walking. And I must tell you, She had not even nearly cleared the threshold by the time that yours truly thought in my mind. I did. I love Jesus with all of my heart, but this went through my mind. I went through my mind. This lady did not say thank you. Not only am I tempted to let go of the door, but I am tempted to slam the door. I'm serious. It it really perturbed me. But then God began to use this as an interesting teaching for me. Because how many of you realize that when God allows you to go through some things, even the most challenging of things, most times it's not even about others. It's about what he's working in you. It's about what he's dealing with you on. And by this time I was so perturbed, I decided in my mind, I just was talking out loud, I will never come here again. I'm so sick of people. I mean, I'm just talking. And I got in the car and was getting ready to leave. But I noticed there was an elderly woman walking with a walker that was struggling to make her way to the door to go within the mall. And as I saw her, the Holy Spirit, whom I've never heard him speak into my ears, but he speaks into my consciousness my spirit, my being. He says to me, get out of the car and go and open the door so that the lady can go in. And I wish I could tell you my immediate response was, yes, Lord, your servant hears you. I shall do it. No. I sat there for a good, good, solid 45 seconds and he said, get out of the car and go open the door for the lady. And I went out of the car, opened the door for the lady. She went in with a big smile on her face, and she responds to me by saying, Thank you, young man. I appreciate that. I was so glad she called me a young man. That was a blessing right there. That was a blessing right there. She called me young man. But I realized something that, again, it was not so much what the people were doing as much as it was what God wanted me to understand about life. And that is people will do what they do for whatever reason that they do it. But there are some things that he calls me and he calls each of us here today to walk in, to live in, to exemplify as it relates to being 
a child of God, sons and daughters of God. And I will even go as far as to say this. There are some things by way of, by, by virtue of the fact that we're together today, that God has called us as a Bridgeway family to exemplify, to live out. And we find this within what we refer to as our core values, the core values of our church. There, there are five of them. Five core values that God has given this particular ministry, this particular church. Pastor Lance did a marvelous job at launching out on last weekend on that first core value. Let me first of all list off what those core values are. And you'll find that on the sheet of paper that you received when you came in today. They're there. Let me just list them off for you by reading them. Number one, knowing God. Knowing God. That is a key core value that is held within this ministry, that is held within this church. It is our intent to know God, not to be mere church attendees, but to know more about Him, to know who He is, to know His character, His nature, how He interfaces with His people. Secondly, loving generously. Loving generously. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Third, developing disciples. Developing disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciples of Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus Christ. That is a key core value of this ministry. Fourth, building family. Building family. Whether you're married, whether you're single, if you're a son, a daughter, a grandparent, whatever place you find yourself within the scope or the context of family, it is our heart to help you to understand uh, scriptures and teachings that will help your family to be strong, help your marriage to be strong, your relationships to be strong, building family. And then fifth, partnering missionally. Partnering missionally. In other words, we're intentional about joining in partnerships that expand or extend the kingdom of God. Not just within this local community, but throughout the region and even the world. God has given that to us. That's, that's our, our core values. Just as many other ministries and churches have their core values. They have their distinctives. There are things that they do. So that is the same here at Bridgeway. It doesn't make us better than anyone doesn't make us better than the church that is down the street. Every church, every local ministry has its unique distinctive, what God has called it to do. And the beauty of that is that all of us make up the kingdom of God. All of us make up the body of Christ. That's what's beautiful about that. You know, it's, it's like your, your favorite restaurant. There, certain restaurants do certain things, you know. KFC does chicken right. You know, Burger King, have it your way. Every place has its distinctive. We are intentional about fulfilling the core values that God has given us here at Bridgeway. And again, our pastor launched us out in the first of those core values, knowing God. Our fill-in on your paper, if you take a moment and fill this in, I want to give you the fill-ins for this. This will help guide us through our teaching today. Write this down, if you will, please. Our true identity, that's your first word. Our true identity in Christ is affirmed 
That's your second word. Our true identity in Christ is affirmed by our ability to love generously. Our true identity in Christ is affirmed by our ability to love generously. That's who we are. That's who we are in Christ. We'll find in a moment. You will know our true identity, not by all of the external things that people will equate to success or equate to godliness or equate to prosperity. Our true identity is found in Christ with the full belief that we're to love generously as we've been loved. Pastor Lance, when he closed on last weekend in one of the services, he made a statement that was so powerful. In fact, I was sitting somewhere in the back section over here, and uh, I was sitting, you know, about halfway back, incognito, about halfway back here. <laughs> and uh, as I was sitting there, it was so powerful because he made this statement, and I, I want to read it to you. Listen to this. He said these words. We are obedient not to be loved more, but because we have been loved so much. We are obedient not to be loved more, not to get brownie points with God, not to get God to love us more. We are obedient to God. Why? Because we have been loved so much. We have been loved so much. See, that, that's, that's so powerful to me because the reality is God in his nature, it is impossible for the Father, watch this, to love us any more or less than what he does. God is not like folks. I love you. I love you not. I love you. I love you not. I love you because you do this. I don't love you because you do this. God's love is perfect. His love is constant. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go down. Listen, have you figured it out? You'll never catch God on a bad day. He's never having a bad day. He's not have, ever having a day that he's sitting there and saying, I'm going to withhold my love today because I just don't feel like loving you. That's not the God we serve. I love the fact that we're obedient, not because we want God to love us more, but because we have indeed been loved so much. John 13, 34, 35 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He doesn't say they'll know you are my disciples based upon the size of your church. Or how thick your Bible is. Or how many passages you have memorized. He says, when people look at you or observe, they will know that you are Christ's followers by the way you treat each other. Amen. By the way you treat each other. And might I add, not merely how you treat each other inside the four walls of the church, but how we treat each other outside the four walls how we treat people on the job, how we treat people in the classroom, how we treat people in the neighborhood, how we treat people in the grocery store. They will know you are Christ followers 
by the way you love. By the way you love. And, and in fact, uh, lean over to someone, if you will. Lean over to them and say, I, I know this is a personal question. Go ahead and tell them that. I know this is a personal question. <laughs> now, 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 here's the question you're going to ask them. Ask them. Ask them. How's your love walk? Go ahead and ask them. How's your love walk? How's your love walk? How's your love walk? How, how are you walking out love? How are you living out love? Now, now, now wait a minute. I'm not talking about the fact I love people. Pastor, I just love folks. I love them with all of my heart. I just love people. Yeah, th- that's your friends and family. But I'm talking about the ones who are not so nice. The ones that you do not necessarily identify with. Maybe because of their social economic condition, maybe because of their ethnicity, maybe because of their culture, maybe because of their religion, maybe because of where they live. How is your love walk? How is it? How are you doing when somebody mistreats you? How are you doing? How are you doing when someone That's what I experienced there at the mall. They dismiss you. They act as though you are invisible. I I, I have to be quite honest. I would rather a person just go off and cuss me out. At least you're acknowledging I'm standing there. (laughs) But to be dismissive, to act as though one does not exist, that can be very, very painful. It can be very, very hurtful. How's your love walk? Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. You've got the commandments, but this one I need you to get down. I need you to get this commandment down. And he, and he calls it love. He actually calls love a commandment. It, in other words, it's not presented as an option. It's not presented, do you feel like loving today? Because some of you think that love is a feeling. It's an emotion. That's how many of us think, and it's not. Love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Love is a clear, definitive act of the will, and it's that which, again, exemplifies who God is. God does not possess love. He is love. His essence is love. That's why he cannot go up and down in his love. His very nature is that of love. So, so many of us misidentify love as being an emotion and being feeling. I, I, I've lost that loving feeling. Oh, that loving feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Go ahead and finish it. See how sad? See how sad? You see how sad? You see how sad? Sad. Y'all even said it sad. Oh, oh, oh. True love comes from the act of the will. And again, it's a command. Love is a command. But what's fascinating, we've been saying this week after week after week. Pastor Lance has been driving this home. He's been saying this. I want to uh, restate it to you again. Whatever God calls us to do, and he calls us to love, he equips us to do it. God will never call you to do something that he does not equip you to do. With everything that he puts towards us, he says, here's the command. Whatever 
I have commanded you to do. I'm not leaving you to your own vices, your own strength, your own ability, just what you could come up with that will be good enough. God says, no, whatever I call for you to do, I will be God in you, and I will equip you to be able to do it. That's the kind of God we serve. Some of you say, I just don't know how I'm going to be able to love them. God's going to help you. God's going to help you. Some of you are struggling in family relationships. I just don't know how I'm going to be able to forgive. You can't forgive in your own strength. God has to help you. It has to be the Spirit of God living in you to help you to forgive and to love even those who do not express love back to you. See, the real power of love is not what you get back from others. It's the ability to keep doing it even when they don't respond to it. Because that's how God loved us. Even when we were not seeking him, he was going after us. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's powerful. Romans 5 and 4 and verse 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How? Through the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit in us helps us to be able to love and watch this. Love generously. To love generously. So the core value, that second core value that God has given us in this church, indeed, is to love generously. I like to read it this way. We Bridgewadians. (laughs) We Bridgewadians are designed to love generously because we have been so loved and we are being equipped to pour into others. That's who you are, Bridgeway. That's who you are. We have been called to love and we've been designed to love generously because we have been so loved and we daily are being equipped to pour into others. If that resonates with your heart in any form or fashion, if that resonates in your heart that you know that you are in the right place at the right time, And God has called you to love generously as a church family. Go ahead and give God praise for that and bless his name for that. Go ahead. Praise his name. Praise his name. Let me give you a scripture that I think bears out what I've just shared with you in regards to this core value of loving generously. It's found in Luke 10, 25. Let me read it for you. Luke 10, 25 through verse 37. Follow along with me if you like. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is speaking to a group of people. And while speaking to this group of people, there's one who stands up amongst them that is a lawyer, one who studies the Jewish customs and the Jewish law. He's a learned man. He has learned the law. He knows it well. And he makes this statement. He said to him, what, uh, he asked the question, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, what is written in the law or what do you read of it? In other words, Jesus says, look at the leather strap of scriptures that are wrapped around your wrists or on your forehead and you will find the scriptures that are printed there wrapped around your wrist close to you. Go and read it out. What, do the, what does the law say? What does the scriptures say within your phylactery? And he answered, the man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus said to the lawyer, you have answered correctly. But then Jesus goes on to say, do this, do this, and you will live. Do this. Do what? Do the very thing you just stated. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. Now be careful here. Jesus is not putting out to the man, to the lawyer, a list of do's and don'ts. He's not putting out to him some type of uh, an, another layer of legalism in which the man is already living within within the custom or the construct of religion. He's already living under the bondage and the construct of religion. Jesus is not coming and affirming that legalism and that bondage that the man is living in. He's not doing so by adding another layer of legalism. In fact, we'll see this as we continue in the discourse as Jesus will open up in the man's understanding. Uh, it's not by your works. It's not by what you can do in your own power and in your own strength. You can't, listen, you can't love God, nor can you even love your neighbor as yourself, first and foremost, without God. Without God. See, that, that's the challenge we live in in this world today. People are equating the word love, again, with this idea that I can do it aside from God or without God. How can you truly love and God not be in it. It is impossible because the very essence, as I stated earlier, of God is love. The essence of love is God. So anything that we're doing outside of God, although you may call it love, it cannot be love. It cannot be love. Even at your best of presentation, even at our best, of care or what we call concern. If God is not in the middle of it, then it cannot be truly love. There's something in it. It might have the form of godliness, but it denies the power of godliness. See? That's what religion does. Religion has all the strappings. Religion will use words such as prayer. Religion will use words such as worship. Religion will use words such as give. Religion will use words such as love. Religion will do all of that. Religion will do all of these things, but it never seeks to give honor and credit to God. Some way, somehow, it wraps itself back around to who we are or who we think we are or who we want to be instead of centering on, first and foremost, who He is. He is love. Jesus goes on to have the conversation with the man in verse 29. The man desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, um, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Here's where he's getting at. Uh, because if it's a matter of loving my neighbor, I'm pretty good in that area. I love the folks that look like me, that act like me, that like the things I like, that do the things I like. I have no problem loving those folks. And Jesus discerns this in this man's heart, and he's going to press this man. He's going to get all up in his business and press him and, in essence, say, listen, listen, you're focusing on all the ones that, again, fit within your box of acceptance. They fit within your box that you feel comfortable embracing. But Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, I'm going to press you to really understand not only what love is, but what love will do. 
Because here's the reality, beloved. Love is not just something we just look at and say, isn't that beautiful? Love always has action. Love always has movement. Love always seeks transformation. Love always seeks to bring about change. Love always seeks to make something better, to encourage. So Jesus looks at this man and he says to this man, listen, listen, let me tell you a story in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him and departed, leaving the man half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, this is a second man, one who's responsible for worship and assisting the priest. He came to the same place and saw the man pass by also on the other side. So you have the priest. They see this man who has come from Jerusalem. He's heading down this road to Jericho. He has been beaten. He's been stripped. He's been left half dead. The priest comes by. He walks by on one side. The Levite walks by on the other side, leaving the man in the same condition. But notice in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came by where he was. And when he saw him, watch this, he had compassion. He went to the man and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's two days worth of wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, more than what would have been needed, saying, take care of the man. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then Jesus asked the question, watch this. Watch what Jesus says. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the man responded, the lawyer responds by saying, the one, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus, instead of just ending the conversation there and said, bingo, you got it. Jesus says, now go and do likewise. Go. And do the same thing. Do just what you just said. Go and do likewise. You know, the early church fathers taught this text from an allegorical construct in which they really did a beautiful job at helping to open up the text by sharing that this man who had traveled from Jericho down this very rugged and narrow road that was known to be notorious for having thieves along it, uh, which makes this man somewhat foolhardy that he would go on this road by himself without going as was the custom with some type of caravan or folks who would travel with you to help ward off the bandits. He travels by himself. And uh, my wife and I, when we went to Jerusalem, we actually saw where this road would have been located. And it's, it's very steep. It's very narrow. It's very steep. And you could see how treacherous it would have been for someone to travel this road. This man apparently travels this road and is beaten. And the scripture says he's beaten and he is stripped and he's left half dead. The early church fathers actually taught it as an allegory as to suggest it, paralyzed, uh, it parallels with the spiritual life of individuals. It parallels with those who have yet to know 
the, the salvation and the deliverance that comes from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That in essence, that people are traveling down the road of life and the enemy, the adversary, has stripped them and has beaten them to the point that they are left half dead. Not all the way dead, but half dead. They are physically alive, but they are spiritually dead. Before we had Jesus come into our life, we were alive physically, but spiritually we were dead. Now this is making sense to me because I wanted to go and put a lot of blame on all the folks that were at the Galleria Mall who weren't speaking and that were looking distracted and looking like they wanted to be dismissive of me. But I realized that people are living their lives out and many people are living in such a way because they do not know true life. They don't know the life that comes through Christ. They're walking around. They're working. They're going to school. They're buying homes. They're buying cars. They're having families. They're doing all types of things. They're physically alive, but they are spiritually dead. They're half dead. They're half dead. And it becomes easy, if I'm not careful, to be critical. To be critical of those that are half dead, not realizing that one day I myself was half dead. God had to come in and do a work in me to bring me to life. And notice the priest goes by and walks on one side. And according to uh, Numbers chapter 19 and verse 11, the priest probably thought that the man was dead. And the priest thought, I don't want to go near the man Because in Numbers 19.11, it says that if I go near a dead body or touch a dead body, I have to go through a cleansing or a purification for seven days. And he says, I don't want to do that because I don't want to miss my turn in the temple, in my worship, in that which I've been given to do in the temple. I don't want to miss that. So I don't want to touch or go close to him. So I'll just walk on the other side. The Levite, likewise, he walks on the other side as well. He doesn't go near the man. You see, beloved, when people are half dead, the priest and the Levite will not approach because in essence, they represent, they represent in essence what religion does. Religion can really never help you. What we call love or this pseudo love in society can never really help you. In fact, in Romans 8 and 3, it says that when we were lost in our sin, when we were separated from God, the law was powerless to help us because of the flesh. The law could not help us. Why? Because none of us could keep the law. The law said you shall not do this you shall not do that. You shall not do this. And, and we looked at the law and we said, I want to keep it, but I can't keep it. Every time I tried to keep it, my flesh would not allow me to keep it. But God, in his love for us, watch this, beloved, in his generous love for us, he sends his only begotten son, Jesus, who identifies with us because he is 100% man. He looked like us. He talked like us. He walked like us. And God the Father sends him and says, you will go and take the place of sinful man so that they don't have to experience the penalty of sin.
That's what God did for Folks, that's a lot of love. That's a lot of love. That's a lot of love. I don't know anybody who would love me like that, that would say, I will take everything that you deserve, everything that you're supposed to receive, and I'm going to take that and, 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 and receive that upon myself so you don't have to go through it. That's how God loved us. That's how much he loved us. So what's powerful about that, the priest walks by, the Levite walks by, but the Samaritan comes and he stops and the scripture says he gets down and he binds the wounds with bandages and pours in wine and pours in oil, which is a type of healing, a type of salvation, the pouring of the wine, the cleansing that comes through the wine, and the pouring of oil that represents the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he places the man upon his own animal. He doesn't leave the man sitting there on the road. He places the man on, his, on the animal and takes the man to the inn. And the early church fathers believed that the inn was a type of the church, that after God saves you, after God does a work in your life, he brings you and deposits you into the body of Christ into the family of God, into a local church that can help you to grow, that can help you to heal, that you can build friendships, that you can build relationships, that despite the fact that you never grew up with a healthy family, everything about you was dysfunctional, including the one speaking to you, came from dysfunctional this, dysfunctional that. Though you are toe up from the flow up, welcome to the toe up from the flow up club. All of us are broken. All of us have missed the mark. All of us have fallen short, but God has picked us up and deposited us into the end called his church. Amen. He has put us in the end. And he tells the innkeeper, take care of them until I come back. Take care of them until I'm coming back. The promise is I'm coming back. That's the promise. The Samaritan says, I'm coming back. Innkeeper, that's a type of the Holy Spirit. Take care of the person who was broken, who's been deposited into the end, take care of them, and I'll be back to settle business. I'll be back to settle business. Now, as powerful as that is, and I thank God, boy, boy, that's a beautiful analogy. We could stop right there, couldn't we? We could say, "Woo, I've never heard that taught like that before. Oh, that's just so beautiful. Oh, praise God. That is just so beautiful. My God, did you hear how he talked about the oil being poured in and how the oil represented the Holy Spirit and being placed in the end, how that represented the church and how the Samaritan says, I'm going to come back. That represented Jesus coming back. Oh, pastor, that is wonderful. That is great. Woo! praise the Lord. Say the prayer and let's get up out of here. Not so fast. Because it's not merely presented to us as an allegorical truth or that which is brought out to us that indeed speaks of the church. It speaks of his coming again. But there's also the practical, clear application that when you are going through life and you see someone that has been beaten and stripped by the cares of this life, you and I are called to be examples of the Lord Jesus Christ that stop and we pour the oil. We pour the wine. We bandage them up. And we love them to transformation. We love them to help. Let me give you three things that we close with that will help you to put this into operation today. Everybody say today. today. Mm -hmm. This won't be one of those teachings you'll go home and say, well, let me think about it. No, you, you're going to put this into action right now. We demonstrate loving generously through, number one, our approach 
our approach of others, our approach to others. We demonstrate loving generously by our approach to others. We're like the Samaritan. We come close to whoever you are. We're not afraid of you. We're not afraid to touch you. We're not afraid to be close to you. A couple of weeks ago, I stood here at the church and was uh, leading in prayer. And some of you remember this. I came up and I said something. Jake had just finished leading in worship and the team had led us in beautiful worship. God's presence was richly in the place. And I just felt led to say, uh, before we went into the announcements, I I said to you all, I said, will you just reach over and touch a hand or touch a shoulder in this room? Y'all remember that? Will you reach over and touch a hand? Some of you want to forget it. I can tell by your face. You won't forget I said that. (laughs) Reach over and touch your hand, I said, and touch your shoulder. And there were some of you that responded. You were like, oh, this is beautiful. Praise God. This is wonderful. There were others. I wish you could have seen what I saw up here. There were others that took your hands over like you were getting ready to touch a dead fish. (laughs) And there were some others that even folded their arms like this. They went from this to this. In fact, some went from, Hallelujah, Lord, I love to... to fold in their arms. I don't want to touch. I don't want to hold hands. I don't want to do any of that. And one person even sent an anonymous letter as to say, you know, very, they didn't sign their name, but they said, The reason why I don't like all of that is because I don't like germs. And I thought to myself, you're in a church that believes in the fact that God can heal cancers and dissolve tumors, and you mean he can't handle some germs? (laughs) I want you to look at somebody and say, if you're going to be here, you're going to be touched a lot. Go ahead and tell them, you're going to be touched a lot. You're going to be touched a lot. Somebody's going to hug you up in here. Somebody's going to give you a high five up in here. Somebody's going to give you a fist bump up in here. Somebody's going to shake your hand up in here. Why? Because we're not afraid to approach you. You're part of us. See? See? I I love it. I was at uh, Sutter General Hospital a couple of months ago, and I'm walking through the hallway to visit a family, and I'm all the way in Midtown, way down in Midtown. Do you all know where that's at? Midtown, Sacramento. Y'all know where that's at? Way down. Midtown Sacramento. So I was down in Midtown Sacramento and I'm walking to the hall and there's a man with a uniform on. He's walking with his co-worker and I didn't recognize him, but he recognized me. He gets out of the elevator. He sees me. He stops. He goes, Pastor Parnell. Oh my goodness. And he reaches over and hugs me so tight. He almost lifts me up off the floor. Almost lifts me up off the floor. And I looked at him. He says, I go to Bridgeway. And he didn't care. What co-workers were standing there looking at him? Why is this man holding this black man off the floor, all six, three of him, and hugging him and embracing him and kissing him on the cheek? He didn't care because he was family. He wasn't afraid to approach me. You hear me? A couple of weeks later, I'm at Home Depot. Home Depot, y'all. Brothers, Home Depot, Saturday, 8 a.m. <laughs> I'm sitting there in Home Depot, and another guy walks up to me, and he walks past me, and he says, he says to me, he says, Pastor Parnell, you go to my church. 
And that man turned around and hugged me. Two men hugging in Home Depot. <laughs> hugging me. Even this morning, I'm clear on the other side of town. I stopped to get some tea at 7 a.m. in the morning, trying to adjust to the time change. And a man is sitting there. He gets up. He was here last night when I was preaching this message. And he gets up and he says, Do you mind if I give you a great big hug? <laughs> then he runs over and grabs his phone. Do you mind if I send, I send a selfie to my wife? I wanted to, I wanted to see who I'm hugging this morning. <laughs> We're not afraid to approach you. You are touchable. You are lovable. Come on, y'all. We care about you. When you walk inside these doors, we don't wait for the professional greeters, and we love them. We thank God for them, but we don't wait for them to be the only ones to tell you hello up in here. When you walk in here and you're trying to find a seat, we're not just looking for our family and friends to say, come sit next to us. If we see you wandering in the aisles, we'll say, why don't you come and sit next to me? Come and sit next to me. I've got a seat right here. Y'all didn't say amen to that. You're trying to hold on to that seat, ain't you? You're trying to hold on to that seat. We're putting folks in the community room because you hold a, got a purse, got a coat on the seat, got everything, got your Bible on the seat. Well, now, y'all prayed me over here. Y'all got to keep me now. Come on, y'all, y'all. Y'all prayed me over here. I got to close. The second thing is that we demonstrate loving generously not only through our approach of others, but our attitude of lifting the broken. I want you to look at somebody and say, I came to lift you up today. Go ahead and tell them, I came to lift you up. I don't care how much the enemy has beat you down. I don't care how much life has beat you down. You're in the right place to be lifted up today. I've got a feeling that everything's going to be all right. God's got everything under control. We approach you, but we also have an attitude of lifting you up. And lastly... Our posture is to cover all people. Our posture is to cover all people, not to expose you, but to cover you. First Peter 4, 8 and 9 says, above all, keeping love, keeping love, keep loving one another earnestly or generously since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another and do so without your lip poked out. Do so without grumbling. I close with this thought. How can we love generously? There's a couple of things you and I can do that are right before us. We've got a missions trip. Summer missions getting ready to come up. So most of the deadlines have passed, but if you were to run out there and catch Pastor Matt and say, I want to do a summer missions. I want to go to Haiti. I want to go to Russia. I want to go to Romania. I want to show love. I've, God has been so good to me. I just want to pour love out to someone else. I want to, is there any... T- way I can possibly get in last minute to go to Mexicali. Can I sign up for next time? We'll get you connected. You can pour your love out that way. Come here on Thursdays to the food closet as we have people lined up down this hallway coming to get groceries because many of them have fallen on hard times. And just say, I'm just here maybe to put some bread, to put some canned food, or put some meat in a box. And afterwards, I just want to go and just pray for people. Can I just go and sit with people that are waiting on their groceries and just love on them and let them know I care about them? There are people that will help you to do that, to make that kind of connection. There are people that help you. We've got Easter coming up. Did you, did you hear uh, Pastor Brian said all hands on deck? 
Come on. We've already had all buns and seats. We need all hands on deck. <laughs> Y'all still love me? Come on, talk back to me. God wants to use you because he's poured so much in you. A few years ago, I was introduced to my favorite ice cream place. Love it. Called Cold Stone. I love Cold Stone. Love it. Love it. person that brought me some Cold Stone for, for months, the first person that brought it to me years ago was this little cup, and I tore that little cup up. It was, it was called, it was called a, a Like It, you know? And I thought that was the only size it came in until I went to a Cold Stone ice cream. And I went in there, and I saw they got to Like It. Then they got to Love It. And then, come on, my Cold Stoneians, what else they got? Got to have it. They got to like it, love it, and I got to have it. And I looked at the got to have it, and I've never been the same. I realized that the got to have it, they pile it on. They got it piled up on the top. Every once in a while, every once in a while, you get a little stingy person up there that act like they built Cold Stone and they made the ice cream themselves. But most people, they pile it on, and it's generous. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, what if I had that type of love? Not the like it kind of love, not necessarily the love it when it's convenient type of love, but as a person who's a child of the living God and a part of the Bridgeway family, what if I had I got to have it kind of love? I got to have it. I got to have you delivered. I got to have you free. I got to have you encouraged. I got to have your joy come back. I got to have your peace come back. Not just in here, but everywhere that I'm at. I just got to have it. I won't be satisfied until God is glorified. I won't be at rest until I know somebody's got the joy of the Lord as their strength. That's what God has called us to do. You accept that? You embrace that? Stand to your feet with me. Lift your hands, if you will, as I pray with you. Lift those hands. Don't be afraid. As you lift those hands, I pray you be filled with the love of God. Be filled with God's love. Every place the enemy has tried to tell you that you have nothing to offer, I pray that in the name of Jesus, we counsel the assignment of the enemy to discourage you. We counsel the lie of the enemy. You are children of the Most High God. That's your identity. That's your identity. You're his son. You're his daughter. And he loves you. You're not defined by your ethnicity. You're not defined by your culture. You're not defined by what's in your bank account. You're not defined by what neighborhood you live in. You're not defined by what car you drive. You are defined by a God who loves you perfectly. Even within our imperfection. God, we thank you. Fill us, God. But don't leave us just full. Help us to approach others, to have an attitude of lifting others, and then God, give us the ability to posture ourselves, to cover a multitude of faults, till all have been loved into your kingdom. We give you praise. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Clap your hands and give God the best praise you can give us. Come on, give him glory.